eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two. It's episode 89. Cubs free agent pitching options for 2024. Don't forget to listen, download, review, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. And of course, we hope you guys out there all have a wonderful Thanksgiving, a lot to be thankful for. And besides the uh, free agents, another way the Cubs can acquire talent, they can call up prospects, they can trade, they can uh, do all kinds of things. And in this segment, Crawley's interviewing Kyle Glasser, Baseball America, to talk about the recent 10 Cubs prospect list. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, I'm happy to have on Kyle Glazer. He is your senior writer at Baseball America. Kyle, how are you doing tonight? Doing all right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was really excited the other day when, you know, some of us prospect geeks, when when all of a sudden that comes out and you got the list, you know, where's our guys? You know, we've had a lot of guys here on the Fly the W podcast who've come on and it's hard sometimes when you get to meet these guys and know them and you're always just rooting for them. But uh, looking at your list, I mean, it, it's hard to disagree with any of the choices that you have on the top 10. That's for sure. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's the culmination of, of, I would say a year long process, but really it's years long. We've been tracking these guys since they were drafted or first signed on the international market. We've been watching them every step of the way. I've done the Cubs prospect handbook chapter for us at Baseball America for, I want to say four years now. So in a lot of ways, I've seen a lot of these guys come up from rookie ball all the way now to some of them are in AAA. So it's been cool to see the progression, see how the new talent has come in and provided an influx. Uh, see how the traded prospects or the guys I should say that were acquired in trades have come in. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a whole years long effort of watching these guys, studying these guys, talking to scouts about these guys this year, last year, the year before, and building really a holistic view of who these guys are as players. And, and, and you know, when you look at this, it, it seems, I remember when all the core just got traded, just like boom, boom, boom. Obviously it started with you Darvish, but then all of a sudden, you know, at the trade deadline, we remember Bryant, Rizzo, and Javier Baez all gone, and it was like a gut punch. 
but out of the ashes of all of that, it seems like Jed and, and, and whether you're talking about Dan Kantrovitz, whether you're talking about, you know, so many people, Justin Stone, uh, Craig Breslow, who just went to Boston, all that stuff. It just seems like they built a, a, a very strong infrastructure of talent in a short amount of time. Yeah, that's what's really stood out about the Cubs is they reloaded this farm system pretty quickly. Typically, when you have a tear it down to the studs rebuild like we saw in 2021, Darvish technically was still in calendar year 2020. It was right after Christmas, uh, but everyone else got traded in 2021 around the deadline. You typically need about four years minimum to get back to having a playoff caliber team in the major leagues just because to backfill all that talent, you know, it takes time for those guys to matriculate up the farm system. It takes time for guys to make their way up from being international signees and not all of them hit. So if you have 10 good prospects, realistically, if even four of them become major leaguer, that's a really good success rate. And for the Cubs to reload as quickly as they have has been really, really impressive. Obviously, they had a winning record in the majors this year. We saw some homegrown guys really take steps forward, Justin Steele most notably, but we saw Nico Horner had a really good year. We saw Christopher Morrell take a step forward. So we're seeing homegrown guys take steps forward and keep getting better in the majors. And really what stood out about this system is almost all of their top guys took steps forward this past year. And you might say, well, duh, but that's pretty rare. Normally, if you have, say, 10 prospects in a system you think are top 10, year over year, maybe four or five will take steps forward, two or three will get hurt, and two or three will take steps backward and not be as good as you thought. Really look at the Cubs farm system. Almost all of their key guys got better this year. That's a testament to the coaching staff, the testament to the player development staff, the front office, the scouting group for getting the right guys and then helping develop them the right way. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that's been interesting is, is I know it, you know, it, it's, it's different in the minors and in the majors, but seeing the teams have a lot of postseason success at all levels of the Cubs organizational system, especially the guys that have, you know, won last year with South Bend. And now this year they were, you know, a lot of them were the Tennessee Smokies. Yeah. They, they, they broke, broke their drought out of there. It, it just, you know, I know it's not all about postseason. It's more about development, but watching, the affiliates succeed as much as they have has been really fun as well. Yeah. That double a Tennessee team by the end of the year, when all the guys got called up and that roster, they were fielding in the postseason. That was one of the more talented single lineups in the minor leagues. You add in some of the pitchers on that staff led of course by Cade Horton. But, you know, we talk so much about the minor leagues development over winning, but a lot of times they go hand in hand. And uh, one of our former interns, Justin Perline, who now actually works for the Pittsburgh Pirates, did a study on this where he showed that winning at the upper levels, double A AA and triple A, does have a positive correlation to success in the major leagues. And when you see a team, and a lot of those guys were pretty young too, you know, Owen Casey, Kevin Alcantara, that double A team. You know, Matt Shaw was a college guy, but he'd just been drafted a few months earlier. <laughs> For these guys who are this young or have this little experience to have this much success in the upper levels, and this was a dominant finish. That Tennessee team went undefeated in the postseason. They ran roughshod through it. It's really, really encouraging, and, and there is something to be taken from that in terms of what's to come at Wrigley Field and how likely these kids are to be successful in the major leagues. Okay, so... I have stalled long enough. People are probably wondering, well, okay, get to the list. Quit talking, Crawley. Um, you know, at number 10, you have Jackson Ferris, right? Left-handed pitcher, um, you know, from IMG Academy. Yeah, so Jackson Ferris was one of the top draft picks in the 2022 draft. I should say one of the top prep pitchers in the 2022 draft class. The Cubs got him in the second round, gave him an above-slot deal, and he's – 
always had really, really good stuff. You're talking mid-90s to the left side, hammer curveball. The big thing with him is just ironing out the control. His delivery has just some contorting aspects to it. It's not the cleanest arm action or delivery out there. So there's been some questions about the strike throwing. Uh, just went out to low Myrtle Beach this year. It was a lot of shorter outings. Didn't get a huge workload, but showed really, really wicked stuff when he was out there. and showed the ability to throw it over the plate enough that he's just dominant. This is not a guy who's ever going to be a pinpoint command guy, but his stuff's so good. If he puts it over the plate, he's going to get a lot of hitters out. The big thing with him is just that consistency. Again, I don't think you're ever going to see a guy who's even an average control guy, but you know, one comparison point that an evaluator made was they hope he can one day be like Blake Snell. Now, obviously, that's very, very lofty comparing him to a two-time Cyan Award winner. <laughs> but the idea being that, look, he's going to frustrate you with some walks. It's never going to be, oh, here's, you know, nine innings and 99 pitches. There's going to be some times where it's five innings and 100 pitches, six innings and 100 pitches. But the stuff's so good that when it's over the plate, guys don't hit him. And if that's the outcome, that's a huge win for the Cubs. Obviously, we're not going there yet. We're not going to compare him to a two-time Sang Award winner. But just the idea of, again, great stuff, controls a little wonky, but if he throws enough strikes, he has a chance to be really, really good. Uh, and and, and I, I, got, I was lucky enough I had a chance to go to Myrtle Beach this year. And, and there was a couple names that I wrote down when I was scribbling them, and a, a couple of them got promoted right after I left. But that's number nine. You got Jefferson Rojas. That was a guy that I was just looking at, and I was like, wasn't a guy that right away jumped, you know, I had heard about him, but I had never seen him play. And, and it's just different in person. You know what I mean? When you, when you see a guy like that and, and, and as a shortstop, it looks, you know, when you talk about infielders, you know, when you play shortstop, you can play a lot of different infield spots. This kid was really impressive to me. Yeah. He really jumped out right away and extended spring training out in Arizona. You know, he was someone who was not a top, top international dude. I mean, he was known, he got some money. He wasn't a $10,000 signing. He was nobody, but he wasn't a top, top guy. And he surprised even the Cubs with just how good he was. And it really started when he was in Arizona, he hit a bomb off of Zach Davies a rehabbing big leaguer. And here's this kid in a stateside debut teenager. And just really, really made a lot of noise out there. That's why he was promoted so quickly out of the ACL is you just see, oh, the one or two ACL games and he gets promoted. But really, it was everything he had done before that during extended spring training and minor league spring training. And for someone that young to hold his own in Myrtle Beach, which is one of the most pitcher-friendly parks in the country, it was just super impressive. Again, the, the slash line is not going to jump out at you, but when you take the context into account of an 18-year-old in Myrtle Beach, it was a really impressive season. And as you said, he can play shortstop. There's no doubt about that. So at the end of the day, we have to see how the bat develops. We're talking about kids this young, at especially the young, the lower levels only. There's so, so, so many things that have to click for them to get from that point to hitting big league pitching. But you certainly see the outlines of a potential power-hitting shortstop who can really play defense. And that's an exciting young player. He's someone that definitely at this time next year could be much higher on this list. Oh, man. Now, at number eight, you got Ben Brown. He's appeared on the podcast. I mean, such a great kid. And, and you know, it looked to me like he was just on the verge of coming up in September before injuries kind of shut him down. I was just impressed. I know that there were some issues with the ball as far as the difference in the baseball between double A AA and triple A. And he just seemed to keep rolling no matter what they threw at him. Yeah. I mean, the big thing with Ben Brown has always been injuries. Uh, you know, he had his appendix burst in high school. That's partially why he went so low in the draft. He's had some elbow stuff. And, you know, this year he actually was on the verge of getting called up uh, in July and then he got hurt. 
and the Cubs called up Jordan Wicks instead. Ben Brown was actually in line to get the call up, and then he went down. I, I spoke to Cubs officials about that. So the big thing with him is just staying healthy. After he came back from his injury, they put him in the bullpen. It's interesting, depending on who you talk to, whether or not he projects better in the rotation or the bullpen, there's no doubt about the stuff. You see the body and the physicality. He's just got to stay healthy. There is some sense that put him in the bullpen, let him blow it out because throwing 150, 180, 200 innings, it's hard to say he can do that when he's never done it. But they're going to give him every chance to start. He'll open back in Iowa's rotation next year. And he should help the Cubs in some form or fashion. It's really just going to come down to if he can stay healthy. Now at number seven is a guy that, I mean, Kevin Alcantara is a guy that to me just has that it factor. I mean, he looks like a star. And the one comp I keep making is, is to Alfonso Soriano as far as just kind of like, just kind of electric, very wiry build, that kind of stuff. And, 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 and he just has a confidence to him, you know, and, and, and I remember they asked him at Cubs convention, they had all the prospects up about, you know, having to take, you know, with PCA and Alcantara that someone asked what it was like having to replace, you know, Rizzo and Baez and both guys just seemed hundred percent confident in their ability. And like I said, some about watching Kevin run the bases and just when he's at bat, it's just kind of like, you just kind of pay attention to him, you know? Yeah. So this was the part of the Cubs list where things got a little bit, I want to say murky, but there were no clear delineations really between four and seven. You could put any of those guys up to four. So if you wanted to say Kevin Alcantara is the number four prospect as opposed to number seven prospect in the Cubs system, you're not going to hear a huge argument from me. You can absolutely make that case. In terms of what Kevin Alcantara can do, look, he's 6'6", super skinny. He looks like really he should be a high school basketball player. I mean, that's the build we're talking about here. And the big thing with him is just you know the long levers, the long body, he tends to start slowly. Um, you know, spin recognition is still an issue, being a little overly aggressive, and, and it takes him a while to get his swing in sync and his long limbs just kind of all where they need to be. We've seen him start really slow two years in a row now and just not look great, but he figures it out. He makes adjustments, and that's important to see. That's a huge part of success in this game is making those adjustments physically, mentally, and getting better as the year goes on. And he's shown that ability two years in a row now to go from not looking great at all early in the season to really, really becoming a force by the end of it. You see the power. He moves well. I think what's really impressive is you see him at 6'6 and say he's going to fill out, get too big, and have to move to a corner. But he can really play center field. I mean, that's what's really impressive. For a guy that big to move like he does and play center field like he does is really, really impressive. Now, again, if he fills out and puts on 30 or 40 pounds, we might have to have a different conversation. But it's kind of that skinnier build. And then all of a sudden it's, hey, this can be a real center fielder, which puts less pressure on the bat. The biggest thing with him is just going to be continuing to improve that pitch recognition, chase out of his own a little bit less. We've seen him be able to do it as seasons have gone on. Now the next step is showing he can make that adjustment before the season and be more consistently good from start to finish. Yeah. And, you know, talking to a couple of the guys at South Bend, you know, my Brendan King, one of the announcers, Brendan King, you know, he was saying it was so cold in April, you know, a guy coming in and having to go to South Bend and playing around the Great Lakes that once he, once it warmed up, he warmed up as well. Uh, next on your list at number six is, is Jordan Wicks. We got to see him in the bigs, got to see him at Wrigley, um, 2021 first round draft pick. And, and, you know, he looked pretty solid, you know, to, to be, you know, being thrown in the middle of a pennant chase. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, and that's the thing with him. You know, he's solid, he's poised, he's going to give you solid outings most of the time out. You know, we saw him get off to a really hot start after the league adjusted to him a little bit. His last few starts, he got hit around a little bit. It's not big stuff. You know, everything is fine. Um, the changeup is is his out pitch. You're kind of hoping for like a Marco Gonzalez type here where you're looking at kind of that, you know, probably number four-ish starter who just mixes and matches and locates and he has that changeup that he can turn to for an out pitch. And look, those guys are valuable. You need good number four starters to get to a World Series and win a World Series. You know, is there more in there in terms of ceiling? It's hard to say that. Um, but again, for him to get to the majors as fast as he did, and, and he showed you what he's capable of. He can hold down some good lineups, have some good outings. There are going to be days where, you know, his command isn't precise. And when that happens, he's going to get hit because he doesn't really have the pure stuff to get away with it. But you talk about a poised, mature, um, experienced pitcher who who knows how to mix his stuff and locate and keep batters off balance. He can do all that and, and be an effective back the rotation starter. And he's ready to do that right now. Now for number five, this is a guy I told you, I wrote down three names when I was down in Myrtle beach, I wrote down, uh, you know, Jefferson Rojas and number five is Moises Ballesteros. And, and my other guy was Michael Arias, who's not on the list yet, yet, but Ballesteros just watching him at, you know, for such a young guy, he displayed like just a maturity on the field. I'm like, man, this guy is like, you know, looks like the captain, you know, just kind of barking out there. And then he gets up, you know, he's one of those guys, the reinforcements that were called up to Tennessee and he's playing first base. And, you know, for, for a team that's been struggling, looking for a first baseman since Anthony Rizzo, it's just something that you say, okay, where, where, where do you see, where do you see Moises at? Do you see him catching or, or maybe moving to first? Yeah, so the issue with Moises Ballesteros, and you're right, he's a very, very advanced hitter. It's mature at-bats. It's just all around. Everything he does in the box is, is well beyond his years. He can certainly hit. He can work a good at-bat. He can do a lot of good things. There's power in there. Um, he's just a very, very, very big boy, and that limits his mobility a lot behind the plate. So you see hands. You actually see some surprising flexibility for a guy his size behind the plate. When I say you see hands, you see strong hands. He still boxes some balls and drops them and needs to work on his receiving. I think it really is just going to come down to him and how his body changes. Um, you know, as one Cubs official put it, just bluntly, he's 20 pounds away from being a good catcher. And if he's able to drop the weight or streamline it even a little bit, he's going to have a shot to stay behind the plate. If he keeps getting bigger as he gets older, which we do see happen a lot, it's going to be tough. And in terms of first base, you know, he's about five foot eight and there's not many five foot eight first basemen out there. That would be really, really challenging for him. So it really, in a lot of ways is probably more catcher or bust where, where he has to end up, you know, maybe DHing. again, we've seen a proliferation of shorter first baseman a little bit. You look at, um, you know, Owen Miller, Miller, when he was in Milwaukee, Ty France is about five ten in Seattle. So, you, you do see it, but it's not ideal. I think the best case scenario is he drops the weight and is able to remain a catcher. Otherwise, it might end up being more of a DH situation. Hmm. 
At number four, you had Owen Cassie, and, and and I feel like with Owen, you know, the last of the U Darvish trade guys that you know we 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 you know, we talked about earlier. I, I really felt that the World Baseball Classic kind of really opened a lot of people's eyes. And, and again, another young guy, younger guy, you know, just doing amazing things and and coming up and you know what he did with South Bend last year and what he did with Tennessee this year. It just the guy just wins. Yeah, so I mean, Owen Casey, you mentioned the World Baseball Classic. I covered that for us, Baseball America, start to finish. And, you know, you saw the power that was always in there. What was actually most impressive to me was how much he's improved defensively. You know, this kid grew up in Canada, cold weather, didn't play a lot of outdoor baseball. And this was a kid who could hit. He did a lot of good work in the cages, had good coaching, did well in the junior national team. But there were times out there he looked really rough in the outfield. I mean, high fly balls. He, he didn't know how to catch them. And it just... Was a you know a situation where he needed time and reps, and we saw him get significantly better to the point where now he's actually playing a pretty good right field. So you just see a young kid who works hard, who gets better, who keeps finding ways to adjust and adapt to the level of competition. He was 20 years old this year at Double A. I think what was really encouraging is we saw once the Southern League went back to the regular baseballs and got rid of the uh, the sticky ball, his strikeouts went way down, and they improved over the course of the year. There's still always going to be some swing and miss there. Look, he's just a bigger, longer levered guy. And his bat speed's not like electric. Like there's some times where things can get a little slow just because he's so big and long. But when he's on time and when he connects, that ball goes a very, very long way. And it is very, very loud contact. So there's real, real middle of the order type power in there from the left side. He keeps getting better defensively. There's a lot of things to like about Owen Casey. The, the thing to watch with him is just going to be, again, making sure he stays quick enough and short enough because sometimes he can kind of get long and slow just the way his body works. Now, your, your number three one, really, you know, this is a guy that Cubs fans are super eager to see. And I hear people already because, you know, Cubs are obviously in need of a third baseman. Oh, don't worry. Matt Shaw will be up in by mid-year. I'm just going uh, to pump the brakes. But but Matt Shaw has made a lot of people excited. Another one of the Tennessee call-ups later on. And, and like you said, drafted college player, but just moved right through everything like it was nothing. Yeah, he was really, really impressed with his pro debut, getting up to double A, hitting prolifically. He's a good hitter. Now, he's a little bit aggressive. There's going to be some tight, tightening of the strike zone needed, but, I mean, he does not miss a pitch over the plate. He hits for impact. There's some power in there. He's a guy that has a chance to hit, be an effective top half of the order type. Again, is it more of a number two hitter than a cleanup hitter? Probably, but... He can hit for average. He can hit for power. It's just a really good ball player who's aggressive, plays hard, um, does does a lot of things well. In terms of defense, he's spent some time at shortstop. He can stand there if you need. Second base is actually probably his more natural position in terms of the next position to move off. But with Nico Horner there, third base is kind of the opening. And he's a good enough athlete with good enough hands and good enough defensive instincts that with reps and experience, he should be able to handle it. Uh, he's a really good player. And and as I was putting the list together, talking to evaluators, both inside and outside the system, uh, getting my own looks, looking at some of the data. At first coming in, I thought there was a clear top two, and then it was a little bit of a jumble. As the reporting unfolded, it was actually pretty clear that Matt Shaw was pretty clearly the number three, kind of atop the next group. Just everything he can do, how talented of a hitter he is. And you add the athlete, you add the scrappiness and the mentality. You have a good feeling he's going to get the most from his ability. Do you think that, that he, they may actually start him at third this year in Tennessee? 
it's going to depend a little bit on what the rest of that roster looks like. Again, who gets moved up. Um, but at the end of the day, he's the priority prospect. So he's probably going to go wherever the Cubs want him to go. I, I do think that we will see him get time at third this year. Um, whether he's there every day versus moving around a little bit, that's TBD. All righty. Number two, I remember this draft pick was a little controversial at the time in 2022. There was a lot of hitters in that draft and the Cubs went with Cade Horton and now and everybody's happy with that pick now. <laughs> yeah. Cade Horton had one of the best years of, of any pitcher in the minor leagues. I think one of the things I remember getting a lot of angry chat questions from Cubs fans thinking that Cade Horton was the next Hayden Simpson. And I feel like we need to take a step back. Cade Horton was a top two rounds talent out of high school. He just had a really strong commitment to Oklahoma. He arrived there he had Tommy John surgery and once he, and he was also a quarterback, he's a great athlete, you know, had TJ and it took him a little while to find his form. But once he did, the further he moved away from surgery, he was one of the best pitchers in college baseball at the end of last year. So the talent was always prodigious. It was just, he got hurt. And I think the Cubs certainly took a little bit of a gamble in the sense, anytime you're picking in the top 10 and you take a guy coming off of surgery and while he looked great, it was a small sample, uh, but they look very, very smart for what they did there. He was dominant this year. I think what was most encouraging is you knew the fastball and slider were really good pitches. The curveball and changeup progressed really, really rapidly. And instead of being a guy with two-plus pitches and two that were maybe lagging behind and need development, they've got two-plus pitch, two pitches, excuse me, uh, two more pitches that are probably above average at this point. And the control's been really good, too. All he needs to do is, building dur is build durability. Again, it's one thing to hold four above-average or better pitches and above average commander better for 88 innings versus 160 innings. Um, but he absolutely trended in the right way and kind of took the step you wanted to see him take another year removed from surgery. Not only that, because of, you know, what, the, what they were that when they signed him and what they paid him, they were able to turn around and give Jackson Ferris a little bit of money, more extra money. So that looks like a two for one, you know? Yeah. Now in, in fairness, historically trying to do that in the top 10 actually rarely works out. A lot of times you, you end up taking just a lesser player in the top 10 and the high school overpay doesn't always work out very well because that's a really risky demographic. I will say the Cubs did a good job in identifying that Cade Horton was a top 10 talent who could just be had for less because of the injury and the concerns about, okay, yes, he looked great in the college world series. I don't know how sustainable it is. So, um, it can work. It, it often doesn't, but, and, and look, at the end of the day, what happens in the major leagues with these two guys is what will determine whether it worked or not, not what they do in double A and low A respectively. But in terms of the year one return, it, it certainly looks promising. And, and finally, number one, no shock to anybody that's been paying attention to Cubs baseball, Pete Crow Armstrong. He got a little taste of the majors and it's funny because people were just so down a little bit that, you know, they were expecting him to be, you know, uh, the next coming of Ricky Henderson is very, you know, in the middle of a pennant race and he only got to bat really like one time a game. Uh, but, but I, I'm, I just keep telling people do not give up on this kid. I've, I've gotten to see him in a, in a couple of different places in the minors. I got to see him at AAA. I got to see him in a uh, high A. I mean, he is just something else. Yeah. I think giving up on a guy who's 21 <laughs> after 19 plate appearances in the majors is uh beyond premature and kind of ridiculous look he's a really talented kid first of all he's a perennial gold glove type defender out there in center field he can run down balls in any direction he can make an impact on the base pass and he's continued he's always been a good 
contact hitter. We've seen him get stronger, start to impact the baseball more, really at every level. It's a really good player. A, a very common comparison for him is Jacoby Ellsbury with more power than Ellsbury's typical year. Now he's not going to get Jacoby Ellsbury's 33 home run season, but we, you know, we saw Ellsbury kind of sit in that nine home run range, except for that one year. I think PCA will be more like the 12 to 15 range, but look, Jacoby Ellsbury was a starting center fielder and leadoff hitter for, you know, world series winning teams and, and a really, really good player who made some all-star games, won a gold glove, got a giant contract. That's what Pete Crow Armstrong can be uh, a top of the order. One, two hitter who wins gold gloves and really sets the tone atop the order. What he can do defensively is special, but don't underestimate the kid can hit too. Again, his first 19 plate appearances in his major league debut is not a barometer of what he can or can't do. Yeah, and Jed Hoyer kind of was talking about how Rizzo struggled with the Padres and roughly about the same amount of bats. And then all of a sudden, you know, he became, you know, the guy that really was the face of the organization for the 2000s. So, you know, I, I just think that when you take a look at your list, at where the Cubs farm system ranked, the future looks bright. And, and it's fun that both, you know, things are happening both at the major league letter level and the minor league level. And I think Cub fans have a lot to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, that's what really stands out is the progress we saw from guys in the major leagues this year combined with how many guys took big positive steps forward in the minor leagues. The Cubs' outlook looks pretty good right now. Again, these guys have to stay healthy. They have to continue their gains. There's a lot of things that have to happen, but you certainly look at where the Cubs are as a franchise right now, and the more you look, the more optimistic you can get that this team is going to turn it around here pretty quickly. Obviously, hiring Craig Council was a, a big, big move. Um, there's a lot to like here. I think the Cubs are in a really good place as an organization, not just a farm system, but as an organization. I fully expect them to be contending for a playoff spot, certainly by 2025, if not 2024. That sounds great. Um, Kyle, can you do me a favor and let our listeners know where they can follow you on social media and where they can read your work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Baseball America. Obviously, you can go ahead and subscribe to the magazine. We still put it out. It's a great product. Uh, you can also find me at baseballamerica.com. And I'm on, I'm going to call it Twitter, not X. I'm on Twitter uh, at Kyle A. Glazer. Love it. Um, I'm always going to call it Twitter no matter what, just like we call it the Sears Tower. So, Kyle, I appreciate you jumping on and, and, and thank you so much. And hopefully I will see you maybe at one of the minor league ballparks. Yeah, absolutely. Look forward to seeing you.